welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Hey, Paul. How's it going today? Uh, doing well. Fantastic. Uh, back to school time. Uh, so the kids are back in school. Um, and it's been pretty busy. Uh, just uh, family stuff and, and, and just getting everybody into that school mode on my side. How about yourself, Paul? Uh, very busy here. Very busy. Uh, our son started his senior year of college, uh, our youngest son. So pretty good, pretty interesting. Uh, uh, we're, we're at the end of the cycle, and you're just starting it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, it's very timely. Today's podcast is the College Flight Plan with guests Beth and Greg Langston, co-founders and creators of the College Flight Plan. Uh, we'll hear from both Greg and Beth about their business and purpose and walk us through the college flight plan. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. Okay, the first news story uh, was from Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, it was called How to Negotiate Your Way to a Richer Life. Um, and so when I read this article, Paul, uh, it talks about negotiating salaries, talks about buying a car, uh, budgeting with your partner. Um, the one thing that I didn't pull from the article that I wanted to call out is I'm going to call it the backfire risk. Um, I had an incident one time where I was negotiating for a salary on a new job, and um, the deal collapsed on me. I had thought that a simple negotiation was warranted, and it went from asking for something very small to not getting the job. So I have some regrets over that personally. Um, it was a job that I really wanted. So I think for me, uh, what I'm taking away from this article, which is all good points, but the one thing I want to call out is kind of this, I'm just going to call it the backfire risk. Uh, making sure that you know, you're ready to walk away from the deal, whether it's a new job or a car purchase or wherever it is, uh, just be prepared that you might lose the deal with negotiation. So Paul, what was your take on this story? Uh, I had two thoughts on this. One was, uh, I'm going to quote the article here, people make the mistake of preparing, of not preparing enough. And that's one of the single best things you can do to be effective in a negotiation is understand what you're doing, understand who you're talking with, and if it's buying a car or whatever it is, just understand the market, which is really very simple uh, and I think often overlooked. And then the other item was within the article, they quote fidelity, uh, talking about uh, a couple, but communicating well about money is hard because money is emotional. Christian says he recommends calming those emotions by acknowledging and validating them and then asking your partner open-ended questions to find out why they feel the way they do and, and it's unfortunate but money is the root of so much in the way of divorce and everything but if you just approach it and understand each other's goals short medium and long term where do you want to be even when do you want to retire all those big questions, if you just have an open dialogue, you can probably find a middle ground in a lot of it. And um, I think it's often overlooked. So that's, uh, that's my take on that one. Negotiating. Yeah, we did a whole. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, we, no, we did a whole podcast on it at one point, and uh, it was very interesting. So you could look back on And that's our authenticity of the podcast, right? You're hearing kind of phone <laughs> yeah. stuff in the background. We're operating out of our, <laughs> out of our homes, so... Um, we'll have to ignore that, but just kind of reset. Um, we did a whole podcast on money and marriage, so you could look back, and we've talked about those things you cited, Paul. So that's worth uh, our listeners uh, to go in the archives and take a look for that. Um, the second story was from The Fool, The Motley Fool Service, The Ascent. Uh, salary trend update. Most Americans will get an average of 5.8% raise by changing jobs. Um, another interesting article, it talks about why the boost, uh, doing the research, um, you know, the economy's on your side. Yeah, there's a lot of good things that are happening right now, right? The one thing that I wanted to call out that I didn't really see in the article is really understanding yourself and ask yourself the question, I'm just going to call it, what does it take to move my pencil cup? Um, they talk about certain percentages, um, and I think everybody has their own percentage of why they want to move for a salary increase. And they have to be comfortable with that move because when you factor in taxes and other expenses, maybe one job has more of a, a higher health care cost or a lower in your job current has a lower health cost, uh, lower health care cost. I guess the trick is like when anything else we talk about on the show, do the math 
and just determine in your head what is that percentage salary-wise that would make you move your pencil cup for. Uh, Paul, what was your take on the story? Uh, really very similar to yours. I thought you were reading my mind there for a minute. Um, I was surprised in a way that it's only 5.8% bump when you move, but I, I can understand that. But according to the article, staying on average, you get an annual increase of around 3%, 3.1 it says. So is it really worth that 2.7%, especially when you take into account, like you were saying, health care, maybe the drive is further, whatever it might be. So it, it shouldn't always be about the money. And um, unfortunately, I think people, um, like we said before, money is very emotional. So you have to really understand it and think it through clearly. But, you know, 2.7%, uh, you know, I know what I have here, good, bad, ugly, whatever it might be. And in my personal situation, my employer, they have a fabulous 401k plan where I get a lot more than the 3%. So if I were to take a different job, it would have to be a very large percentage to account for the difference just in 401k alone. So pretty interesting, but, eh, you know, 2.7% doesn't do much for me. Yeah, I think to each his own. I think, like I said, we, I think people just have to determine what their percentage is and then lock that in and make sure you strive for it and, and just know that that would be the percentage you would leave for. Otherwise, you might regret it. Um, I think with that, we'll, we'll go to uh, the podcast. We'd like to welcome to the podcast Beth and Greg Langston, co-founders and creators of the College Flight Plan. Their mission is to empower students to master their self-discovery, allowing them to successfully activate their life's purpose. Today, we will discuss their company and their college fight plan. Uh, Greg and Beth, welcome both of you to the show. Well, thanks, Paul and Paul. We're glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. I think, you know, I was preparing a lot for this podcast because it's very interesting, very timely. Um, I have a use case, right? My son is going through this as we speak, um, struggling with the essay, the college essay. And we'll get into this, but just giving a little bit of background. I have an 11-year-old and a 17-year-old. Um, like Paul said at the beginning of the podcast, um, or before we started, Paul's kids are one's out of the house working, one's already successfully finishing college. Um, they're well on their way. I'm still in the mode of um, an 11 year old and a 17 year old, and right now the 17 year old is working through his college essay and um, working through um, the details. So we've been going through getting him help with that. We've been helping him to whiteboard some of the um, the storyboard out, the essay stuff like that. But I was telling my wife the timeliness of this podcast is crazy uh, <laughs> because it really fits with the use case we have pending. So, so Beth and Greg, help. Um, no, never. <laughs> it's, we are here to uh, help. It's very interesting. And, and one other thing I want to note is, um, and I listened to you on Aaron Taylor's podcast, and what resonated with me uh, is, and I think it was very interesting, was when you're doing that discovery with your with your child. Um, college might not be the answer, right? So I have a nephew who is wildly successful at 20 years old as a union welder here in New York. Oh, I love um, it. He's buying his own his first house in the next couple of weeks, um, and he's doing extremely well, did not go to college, but loves welding, loves the art of welding, learning and learning constantly on the job with additional classes and now becoming part of the union. It's opened up the world to him even more. So he's not regretting not going to college, right, which a lot of kids may on the surface regret but we've always told our kids um, do what you love because uh, life is short so I said if you want to be a, an auto mechanic we can hook you up with my uh, my brother uh, who's an expert mechanic um, I have friends that are electricians plumbers carpenters there's a lot of people out there that my kids could talk to if they want to explore different career tracks beyond college but that was kind of like my opener, um, guys, of, of like it really isn't all about just college. Um, maybe we'll kind of start with that. Maybe you could dig, you know, we could dig into that or, you know, just jump into um, some of these pieces around um, the, your background and how did you get here? Right. And I just want to say you are so right on with the um, saying that college is not for everybody. That's what we've discovered. We felt that in the past 20 years of doing this, there's been such a push for 
everybody to go to college. The push comes from the high schools. Uh, nobody, if, a lot of kids feel that if they go in, they walk graduation and they don't have some great college that they're going to, they don't even want to get up and walk in graduation because they're a little bit embarrassed if they're not going to go to a great college. And that's what we are trying to help change also is that it is not for everybody right Greg? that is true and also in some cultures it is expected uh from the matriarch or the patriarch that you will go to college full stop and so you need to navigate a student needs to navigate that and many of these come from other countries and we help the student provide an alternative to be able to share with their parents to say mom and dad i know you're all doctors or i know you're all lawyers and I just want to let you know that I would suck at being a lawyer uh, or a doctor. And here's the feedback I've received. I may not be a lawyer or a doctor like everybody in the family, but I would be the best neurosurgeon, which is a doctor, but I'd be the best architect in the world. Um, and I think you'd be pleased with that. And so that's part of the self-discovery that the student needs to take. And one of the misnomers or, or myths is that parents think that all of this guidance is going to come from the high schools. And unfortunately, you've got a lot of well-meaning counselors out there, but there are just too many students for the guidance counselors. There are, on average, there are 424 students in the United States per college, per college counselor in a high school. And wow. in, New York, in New York, where we live, there are 900 Calvary. students. Yeah, what did I say, New York? Yes. Wow. Well, we, we live there a part of the year, but um, in California, there are 900. And, you know, those counselors, there's no way they can give that attention, individual attention to the students. So we encourage parents to help their students gain that self-discovery that they need to. And that's how we got started in this with our own children, because we realized that nobody was doing this. Nobody was helping these kids learn their strengths and weaknesses and discover what they're passionate about and what they're gifted to do so that they can choose a career that is fulfilling in their lives. Because what is it 27% of people do not like, or only 20% like what they're doing as a career. Right. And right now, people that are graduating, only 27% of college graduates, undergraduates, are actually working in a job that matches their, their major. Hmm. Wow. Very interesting. Yep. Very interesting. So, yeah, I, I actually had, uh, Paul, I did have one quick question. So okay. it's funny you say that because um, I was talking to a colleague who is who was working with me, and, and you hit it on the head. There's this family pressure, and she jokingly told her, me that, you know, there's three options in her family. You either become a doctor, a lawyer, or a disappointment. <laughs> right? And she said wow. that so off the, off the cuff, and I think sometimes it's culturally mm – -hmm. Right. And I, I don't I'm not going to say the culture or anything like that, but it was very it was a very interesting statement that even though that person was telling me this, it was probably half joking. Right. That there was some level of pressure coming from the parents. What do you see as kind of that that pressure? Is that something you see with working with uh, with these kids when you're, you know, with, with other do you see that a lot with parents, this kind of pressure coming through? We sure do. Uh, <laughs> parents uh, can be very imposing with their children. And if their child doesn't know what they want to do if they they'll just go along with what the parent says and then they'll go to college or drop out in two years and have all this debt that they have because they don't know what to, what they want to do or they're being pressured by the family and the statistics are right you know the you've got to really do the self-discovering just from a purely dollars and cents perspective because college is expensive and an in-state college is $27,000 all in um, to $43,000, $45,000. Private schools, $50,000. Ivy's $80,000 a year. And so the alarming facts are that only 40% of college graduates currently graduate in four years. Fully 60% of them are graduating in six years. That's an extra two years. And the reason is, is that 60% of them are changing majors more than three times. And that's because they don't know what they want to do. They haven't done that analysis, that discovery. Just like you were talking about earlier, uh, doing your research before you change a job and making comparisons. They're not doing the research in terms of what they should do for a job. And so as a result, they're coming out with there's $1.7 trillion in, in educational debt today. And the fact is, 
that can be avoided if you provide the student the self-discovery they can very clearly determine hey this is what I want to do and I can change it but I, it's, I at least have a clue I was talking to a senior a senior person in the school system who has a son who changed majors seven times in college mm. took him it cost him a fortune and so the parents if they see that their kids don't know what they want to do, of course they're going to be concerned and probably pushing what they think their child should do. But for us, we have a discovery process where at the end of it, they re they report out to their parents everything that they've discovered about themselves, what they think they should do. It's a great process. And the parents are buying into it. They're, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that is what you wanted to do and that you knew this about yourself and this was your purpose and your goals. So I thought you were only interested in your social media feed, but look, yeah. at, what, look at what you're telling me. <laughs> wow. So that's interesting. So uh, it, it's funny the stats you were pulling up because I was actually doing some research on it and I was on the U um, S department of education site and they yep. did a study from uh, 2017 and um, numbers I'm seeing here are, are different, but specifically those going into math, 50% of the kids, who's 52% who start in math, change their major. Um, that's wow. apparently the highest percentage. And then, it, you know, STEM in general is pretty good. Computer science is one of the best ones. Um, but it, it is very interesting how many do change their major so frequently. And then I think they said, um, you know, two or more times there's a significant percentage there as well. So it is, it does cost a lot. So... I'm interested in this uh, discovery process, and it almost, in my mind, sounds like a Myers-Briggs type thing for uh, a student. And what do they do, and what do they like, and where are they tailored towards? Obviously not from truly Myers-Briggs, but you know what I mean. Yeah, right. absolutely. So how does it work? Tell me about that. Um, sure. Basically, it's a three-phase process where initially they discover things about themselves, they determine what they're going to do with that discovery. And then once they've determined what's important, then they direct themselves. And basically it's a 12 hour, not in one sitting process that they go through and they pick an accountability partner that will help them go through that process. And we don't assign it to them. The student picks their accountability partner and what the accountability partner, the value of that is all of us know that if we write something down, the likelihood of success is, you know, better than zero. If you, publicly share that you're going to run a mile and you tell all your friends or you're going to lose five pounds and you tell all your friends and family, the likelihood of that is higher. It's 65%. And if you have an accountability partner, it goes up to 95%. And so that's why there's the value of having the accountability partner. But where we start and something that we found that is missing in schools is that core values are not being taught. Implicitly, families have values, things that they value, and the students typically adhere to those um, either knowingly or unknowingly. And what we do is we help them to determine their own core values. And basically, if I can describe it, the way our process works is if you can visualize a large oak tree with roots that go down in a cross section, you see the roots that are going way down deep into the ground that are holding up the tree. The roots are your values. The large trunk is your purpose or your why, Simon Sinek, and the branches are your goals and objectives. And so if you don't have a strong root system, your tree is going to topple over when there's a storm of life, you know, hurricane and so forth. The same is true as individuals as we're going through life making decisions. If they, if we make decisions that support our value system, we will continue to be going in the right direction. We won't topple over. Does that make sense? That visual? Yeah, it does. I, I like your analogy of the tree. Okay. And so what we do is we teach them how to go through a gating process once they select their core values as to what's important to them, that they will then make decisions based upon those. If, the, if a decision uh, or something they want to do violates any one of those values, then they stop doing that. After that, they then go through and do a 360 assessment because this is the training that I received as a C-suite executive. They kept in, investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in all this training. And, and Beth and I said, why are, why are we waiting uh, for 20 years for me to get this stuff? So that's and why, why aren't we teaching this to our high schoolers right now? <laughs> and so what I'm sharing with you are some of the tools that I was taught, but we have then transformed them into something that a high school student will understand and go with. The videos are two and a half minutes long. 
and it's all interactive mobile. So um, we know that young people have the attention span of a goldfish, and so we make sure that <laughs> they can see the video and go right to the workbook. So what they do is they ask up to eight trusted advisors, and these are typically parents, relatives, grandparents, teachers, a mentors. coach, mentors, to give them feedback in terms of what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, how do you add value to other people, and these are the things based upon our observed behavior as long as we've known you that we think you would be really good at doing either this profession, like you said one of your relatives or a friend uh, wanted to be a welder, or you should be a physicist. And they get 200 data points of information that give them that insight. So that's much more comprehensive than sitting down in front of a computer and filling out a, a, a multiple choice question on your own. You're actually getting data points from people that really know you. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I wish some of these pool, tools were available when I was going to college, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. And I always tell this story. I, I'm a, I've been a technologist for 30 years now, um, but I went to school for accounting and really didn't do much with it. Um, and, and quite honestly, the, the idea of changing majors when I was in college was um, just not an option. Mm -hmm. uh, the cost, even back then, was, was pretty high. It was very expensive. And it just didn't seem like I could spend an extra year on tuition, right? And, and I think for me, um, having some of those insights sooner would have helped. And it was just coincidental that I got a technology job part-time while I was in college that turned into a full-time job. It was actually started in a mailroom just to earn extra money, then hung out in the computer lab to do my homework, and it just grew from there. My interest in computers just kept growing. Um, and But I kept on the accounting track because I, I had to finish. It, it was sort of this forced, at the time anyway, for me, it was this forced finishing. So I got the accounting degree, uh, tried to get an accounting job, but didn't have the heart, didn't have the passion for it, mm -hmm. and couldn't really land a, a decent accounting job. Um, but when I put a technology resume together, uh, I was getting offers all over the place. Wow. <laughs> so it's very interesting. I, I had wished that some of these tools were available when when I was around, um, you know, or when I started. And and um, I know that for my kids, uh, they're in a smaller school system. But to your point, um, I think that the guidance counselors are also stretched there in terms of that, you know, in terms of you need some auxiliary help right. to get the kids into a proper track, you know. So, so true. Um, I, we recommend that the parents actually be proactive in finding those outlets, especially as you were saying about studying something that you know you, you you didn't apply to your career, but if if the kids could get experience or internships during their high school years, our son is a great example. He thought his whole life he wanted to go into medicine, and he's got as he got older, he thought, oh, I think I want to be a surgeon. So we had some connections that we could use to get him to intern with. Uh, a neurosurgeon and a cardiovascular surgeon during one of the summers of high school. And after that mm -hmm. summer was over, he came home and said, that is not at all what I want to do. And he ended up in the financial world. So go figure. It's very valuable. He didn't waste all those years in med school and come out and do something that he didn't enjoy every day. He loves what he does now. Not to mention the cost. Yeah, and the cost would have been prohibitive. So this is if they can get experience in training, volunteer at places. People are willing to have kids come along with them to their jobs just to see what it's like. Even if you could do it for a week or three days, that will help them know, oh, this is what it's about. Do I really want to do this or should I try something else? Yeah. And there's always this financial tie, which is great, right? So, and, and I think to kind of build upon that a bit, there was a couple of questions we had around the financial aspects, right? Because we are financial dads, um, and we have to dig into that a bit. So uh, one of the questions is, what can parents do to save money when considering college for their kids? So one of them might be these internships, right, to kind of figure out what they really want to do, and that's at the core. But are there any other things that parents can do to save money when they're considering uh, college for their kids? Well, they can do the 529s. Um, they can do that. They can also... Um look up scholarship alternatives. There are a tremendous amount of scholarships that are available. And it's, they go unawarded because nobody knows they're there. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did not know that. Um, that's interesting. Well, I've been a big fan of the 529 plan. I've been trying to stockpile as much as we can afford for the kids. And, and hopefully that gets us somewhat of the way there. 
Um, can I add one? And, can I add one? Can where, I add one more thing too, Paul? Yeah, and that sure. is once a student has a self-discovery to know what they want to study, if they in fact choose to go to college, that they pick a school that has a good program that satisfies what they need, but that that family or themselves can actually afford it. Because you don't have to go to an Ivy League school. You don't have to spend $80,000 a year. You can spend $50,000 a year and go and, and be in a program with a professor or a series of professors that are outstanding and have an excellent degree. And so tying to the financial aspect is uh, what I wanted to highlight that for. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, that was one of the other questions we had was around, you know, the opinions of state schools versus private schools versus Ivy Leagues. Um, and, and, and to your point, you know, whatever the family can afford and if there's scholarships involved, there's a lot of complexity. Um, but to your point, it, it really should matter. It's really the content of the education. Is that what the focus is? Right. It should be the education and the labs that they attend, not necessarily how cool the stadium is and what the rec room is and the fact that they have a, an atrium in their main building. Really, while it, it does wow you when you go for on that first visit, um, you know, is that really contributing to the education and the job and the, and the career you're going to have subsequently? And your tuition pays for that atrium and that stadium. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Right? Uh. <laughs> So, quick question. So, with your program, you know, have you seen a dramatic shift in what the kids are thinking they want to do and thereby saving potentially tons of money? The answer is yes. And we have examples of students who came to this country 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, with nothing. Uh, one young man called Ulti from Albania, he was doing the workshops with us when we first started um, tinkering with this with our son and daughter. And um, he was just a few years ago was nominated as top 20 under 40 in the city of Miami, Florida. So um, he's, uh, he, he's rocking it in the financial industry. And you know what we really see when the kids are finished with this program and they've presented it to their parents and their accountability partner, we see this great transformation in them. They have this clarity in knowing what their values are their strengths, their weaknesses, their purpose, their future career, whatever they're going to do. They have confidence in clearly understanding and articulating what makes them unique. Why are they special? Um, and they, they can use this in their application process, in their job interviews, in their essays. And um, they have a more of a sense of control over their futures because now they have actionable plans and goals that they can use. Wow. So, so let me ask another question here then. So what are three things you would tell parents who are sitting there right now overwhelmed in terms of the cost and, and the process, you know, listening to our podcast? Well, if you, <laughs> a lot of them might have seniors right now and who are working on their essays and application process. So, and their uh, hair's on fire too, and right? And their hair's on fire right now. <laughs> this is right now, you know, a lot of the a lot of the applications are due November 1st. I thought we had the cameras on. <laughs> <laughs> I can see my hair on fire here. But in general, I would say start early in the process, which I know for some people it's too late now. The other thing we recommend is to get help. Get help with the scholarship search. Get help with your with the standardized testing that goes on the A, A, ACT and the SAT um, because there's definite strategies that go along with taking those tests and some of the seniors are still taking that I know but you can start that early you can start that sophomore year and start practicing um, the essays also and the essays get help with your essays because oh I had a great example some kids don't want help with their, they're like oh no I can do it myself and there was this gal who came to me, she was so qualified. She was East Indian, living in Minnesota, great family, worked hard, did, had community projects. And really everything. smart. Really smart. And, but she didn't want help with her essay. So she was getting rejected from some of these top schools that she wanted to go to. And so, when, or she was on the wait list. So when you're on a wait list, then you have to write another essay to say, what have you been doing since you first applied to our university? And so she came to me to help with that essay. And I said, could you just show me the, the 
your personal statement that you submitted, your 650-word personal statement that everybody has to put in. And I read the first paragraph, and she had grammatical errors in it. And there are many readers, you know, the um, admissions officers only get 8 to 12 minutes per application to decide yay or nay. And it's such a competitive world right now for these kids that if you have a grammatical error in your essay, they're going to put that down right away. Many readers will not let you go past that. So, or you or you cut and paste the wrong university into your essay because <laughs> yes. you're reusing it. Yeah. You have to be very careful with the whole application and all these essays have to be in the student's voice, not the parent's voice. Many times you have to write supplemental essays and people can the reader can tell if the parent wrote one essay and the student wrote the other because there's definitely the stu each student has a different voice and they want it to be just like you're sitting down talking to a good friend. Anyway, that's a lot about essays and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask how important the college essay is because we're going through it right now. And, and to your point, we, we have a local teacher uh -huh. that we are, we've hired to, to, to guide my son. That's so good. Right? And, and he's working on that draft. And, but it's been, you know, it's, it's, it's tough getting that jump start, right? He's was having a tough time understanding, you know, what to write and, right. and how to write it. Um, and so um, he's working it through, but it's very challenging. So I was just curious, in terms of your submission to college, how important, how much does the college weigh typically on the essay? Is it 50 percent, 30? I don't even, I can't even remember when I was um, a kid uh, going to college. But how much emphasis do, do the colleges typically put on the college essay? Well, um, for the 20 years we've been doing this, there are three things mm -hmm. that the admissions officers look for. And I don't really know the percentage, but of course, the first thing is academic success. You know, the GPA, standardized tests, a quality curriculum. The second thing they look for is extracurricular accomplishment. And that means in-depth commitment to a project, not a smattering of surfacey commitments. They want to see that you were deeply involved in something that you cared about or an entrepreneurial spirit, they, anything like that they love. But the third thing that's most important, they're looking for students with self-awareness and a future plan, which involves, you know, the values, the strengths, all those self-discovery items, and they can speak to that in their essays, which is rarely what a student does. So that's what I, as an essay editor, I try to bring out that part of them, that unique part that makes them you, because the university wants to know who you are, where are you going. They want students that are going to hit the ground running, have control of their lives, you know, and contribute positively on campus and, and in the surrounding community and graduate with honors and reflect well on that university and come back and give back and mentor students there. Paul, as far as the percentage, I think whatever the percentage was in terms of the value of the application essay has just gone up tremendously with the mm -hmm. uh, with the test optional scenario that exists today. A lot of students and families are saying, oh man, I don't have to take the SAT, I don't have to take the ACT, that's awesome. Well, the school still has to figure out if you can play in their school. In other words, if you mm -hmm. if you have the academic rigor uh, maybe you don't take the test, but they're going to look at your scores, your your uh, GPA, and they're going to go and they'll drill down into how good is the curriculum. Because if you want to be a, a doctor or a chemist and you're getting B's and C's uh, in biology and it's not that rigorous, even though you scored and you, you don't have an ACT to reference or an ACT, they're going to say, I don't think so. And the other thing too is, they're going to be looking for you to write that compelling essay that makes you stand out versus the other folks because think about it. After all these years of elementary, middle school, and high school, and it all comes down to having 8 to 12 minutes to catch attention of an advisor, it's really important that you give that application essay uh, the attention it deserves. And as far as the yeah. standardized tests go, sorry, I just wanted to say I would recommend taking them if you can, even if they're optional. Submit what, what the problem we're having out here in California are they're canceling the tests. So these kids want to take these tests. They've prepared for them. They've studied. They've practiced, and yet the test gets canceled. So again, we can address that in the application, but or in the, in the there are many parts like additional information section if you want to address that. 
that is another thing we can do. But the essay needs to catch the reader in that first paragraph because even if they, sometimes I think they don't even read the whole essay. 650 words is a lot of words. <laughs> and so if you can catch them at the beginning with something memorable, they'll say, oh yeah, that's the guy who wore pink blue jeans to school or whatever the story was. And Paul, you say that, you know, your son's having a difficult time, you know, getting started um, with doing the application essay. Um, you know, he is not alone. In fact, the recent study was done, and this is, these numbers just knock my socks off. 18, uh, excuse me, 87%, 87% of people 16 to 29 say that they have no purpose or meaning. Think about that. Wow. And that's, yeah, that they is, don't know is... what they stand for. All they, they're being driven by their peers, by going through the motions in school and being overcommitted in activities and being in so many sports because they've been doing it for years. And when they do the self-discovery, wherever they do it, they learn and give themselves permission to deselect from things that they shouldn't be doing. And that's really important. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. I know for my son, he, he's been wanting to be in information technology for quite some time. A lot of experience going to coding summer camps and sleepaway camps where he would get lost in the week. We wouldn't hear from him. Like even with phones, like, you, you know, you send them, Hey, how are you doing? Okay. And that's it. Right. You get the text back and leave me alone. I'm coding. Right. And, and it's very interesting. Um, but in, in some respects, um, you know, one thing that we've, we've seen as, as a challenge, and maybe this is a, a question that that's on top of my mind is, and you talked about it in some of your, in some of your stuff on the website, what do you do? What do you suggest parents do to help unmotivated students and not that they're unmotivated in a bad way, but they might be analysis paralysis. They might be scared of doing and writing the wrong thing because there is so much pressure mm. on this essay or, or maybe they are purely just unmotivated, right? Like what do you, what can parents do to get those kids motivated? I know. And don't feel like you're alone. <laughs> there are many unmotivated mm. kids, but I think it is the fear uh, because the hardest part of writing these essays is the brainstorming. And because it, you feel, I have to stay within the word limit, but I need to have that creative side of my brain thinking of what I, what can I write? What are my, what are my skills and what have my experiences been? What have I learned from life? So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, uh, actually I have an ebook course online that walks them through the whole process of writing this essay of the brainstorming process and allowing them to just be free to write and to have giving them i asked so many questions to help suggest things in their own mind that to bring back experiences to uh you know give them ideas to write about and then so they come out with a whole list that fit different categories or different essay prompts that they could write and then i tell them uh, what to avoid, you know, that we walk through a whole process that in the end, they come out with this pretty good essay, uh, what to avoid, what to include, uh, what language to avoid, mm, and negativity. You want a victor, not a victim mentality, even if you've been through a lot of hardships, you know, so there, there's a whole process to it. And that's why starting early is key because, um, if you're going to read a book about it or go get help about it, it takes a little bit of time to do that. And it's so good that you have that local teacher who's helping you with yes, the essays. That's great. Yeah, we've been able to, I feel like we've done it piecemeal and, and I wish I had found your, you know, you had contacted <laughs> us for the podcast earlier. Um, just, just to share the journey, you know, we did the, the prep courses for the SATs yeah. and, and um, we were very happy with the result of his retest Good. Um, jumped uh, a nice amount and 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 i know he was very proud of it and we we're proud of him yay it was better than i was i can tell you that <laughs> so you know um and and so you know he's looking at colleges and we're we're, we're looking at different tech schools and, and and schools that focus on information technology we're starting those visits but i think you hit it on the head we haven't started early enough uh, i think when i talk to other families um, it seems like they've started earlier and maybe Paul, in terms of when you were going through it with your boys, cause your boys are very successful uh, in terms of their college career. Did you guys have an earlier start is, is, is what Beth and, and, uh, uh that they're recommending makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Beth I would Greg say, are talking about. 
I would say we started um, early beginning of 10th grade is when we really started looking at schools. Um, then more seriously, obviously, in 11th grade. And my younger son, well, in some ways it was a benefit, some ways it was a drag. You know, he went with us to all these places. So he, he got a taste for things almost reluctantly. So, <laughs> And he was obviously a year further behind in school. So while it was reluctant, I think in, I don't think he'll ever admit it, but it was definitely helpful for him as well. So I had another question on top of that, if I may. Sure. So, you know, how many students have you helped with your program? I guess it's my first one. Uh, we've helped hundreds of students go through this process. Wow. We used to do just workshops and then COVID came around. And so now we've put it all online. So hopefully we'll be reaching even more. We think, you know, we've been actually talking to high schools in the California area to get the program in the schools because nobody's addressing this with the kids nobody they have recently started uh introducing uh, sel which is social emotional learning because Mm -hmm. they've noticed that kids are so desensitized as a result of just having their face on their phone that they're not sure how they respond to others how they're contributing to others and so they're really focusing on uh, how are you feeling how do you think that made so and so feel And while I think those are great emotional cues that one has to be aware of, you need to then put some practical goal setting in conjunction with that so that you say, okay, this is how I treat other people. This is how I like to be treated. This is how I motivate myself and others. Now, how am I going to turn that and craft that into a profession that I can make a living off of? And that's where we take my experience in business with Beth's educational experience and put it together in a way that comes alongside a student and says, where are you right now? You're a sophomore, let's look and see, let's identify from the get-go three accomplishments that you've accomplished so far in your life that you're proud of. And then what we do, and what, whatever they might be, it might be, uh, you know, they were a chess champion or they were on a soccer team or whatever the case may be, then we build off of that from wherever they are. And what, what we found is that while there might be a little bit of reluctance at the beginning, like mom and dad, why are you putting me in this program? Once they start peeling back the onion, they start saying, hey, you know what? This is what I do well. And this is what, this is my wheelhouse. And yeah, you know, I kind of thought I sucked at doing that. And everybody else tells me they suck at doing that. So I probably shouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> yep. But here are people, I didn't realize that people thought I was, you know, nice to them in this fashion because of the values and so on and so or the, the way they added value to other people. And you know what? I kind of had a feeling that this would be a good major or a good profession to follow. And I'm getting confirmation from people that I trust who really know me. And so that gives them a sense of confidence that otherwise a student doesn't have. Wonderful. So I, I sort of, it's almost the opposite side of your, your business, but after they have done the discovery, how often or how many kids have you seen realize that college isn't for them? So sort of going back to the beginning topic. Um, I'd say that initially it was probably 90% or 95% were going to college. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think with the advent of the YouTube environment that we're in, where I jokingly say, you know, you can learn anything on YouTube. I mean, you could learn how to give yourself a, you know, a brain transplant, but it, it would, there would be a yeah. problem in the middle. Um, the, <laughs> the fact is there are so many alternatives that are available out there that I see that people increasingly are finding that A, the cost of college is so high, B, their interest in coding is something that, uh, and, you know, pick 10 young people and eight of them want to, you know, create the next video game and become billionaires by the time they're 16. Um, but so there's there's that, which are providing alternate ways for uh, for them to earn a living. Now, for all those that want to be, you know, for every one of those that does create a, a program, you know, there are hundreds of thousands that can't do that same degree of coding. But um, there are alternatives and we're seeing an increase, uh, as you said, Paul, for seeking welding, um, pipe fitter, construction, um, landscaping, you know, all sorts of different activities that can pay a good living. 
And even among, you know, the great students, the thing is that the application rates to these universities have increased. Therefore, the acceptance rates are decreasing because they just can't take all these students that are actually well qualified. So if it, sometimes they have to look at life again and think, well, maybe I don't, I didn't get into that university that I really wanted. Maybe I'll take a gap year and go explore what is interesting to me and find out those things or travel. Gosh, we raised our kids overseas. By the time our kid, our son was 13, he'd been to 12 schools in five different countries. And our thing was, gosh, I think everybody should have that opportunity to go overseas, go visit third world countries and come back here and you have sort of a fresh perspective and an appreciation for our country. But anyway, so if they don't get into those schools because there's not enough room for all the students, <laughs> then they can have the opportunity to do something different. That's amazing. I, I think I could talk to you guys all day. It's fascinating. Oh, gosh, let's talk. I want to hear about your world travel. Um, I, I, I've been offered a couple of times to, to travel and work internationally and just do it. And just do it. Yes. Always. Yeah. That's what people tell me and I haven't done it. So oh. it's, uh, yeah. but, um, I, I'm, I'm sure it was a great experience for both, uh, you and you and your kids. What do you think diverting away from all of this? The question that comes to my mind is for your kids, what do you think they've learned the most by the international travel? Is there anything that stands out to you? Any lessons learned that? by being and, and having them kind of living around the globe, which I think is awesome. Um, is there anything that you could think of that they took away that you see even resonate today when you talk to them? Oh, wow. So that's a great question. So they've been a new kid many times and a new kid in a country that they don't even know the customs to, you know. Or, so, the, or the language. Or the language. Wow. They've had to do um, a lot of adjusting in their lives. And what I've found, I mean, I grew up in southern Indiana, so for me, living overseas was a great adventure as an adult and they were kids and it's sort of what all their friends did you know all these expatriate kids go from country to country so it sort of was normal for them but they gained a great appreciation for uh, other cultures and we always said when you you are a guest in this country and you follow their rules like in Singapore you can't chew gum <laughs> and so uh, or you'll go to jail and so and don't ever say, in America, we do this. You know, nobody cares what we do in America. <laughs> you just, you're a guest in that country. And so we just appreciated it all so much. I think they're, they have a softness in their hearts towards new people that come in. Because, you know, we, we moved from Mexico to Memphis, Tennessee. And nobody even knew where Mexico was, really. <laughs> which is a sad thing. Um, and the kids didn't want any of their friends to know that they spoke Spanish. But most of those kids were born and raised in the same school, even. They were, they'd been K through 12 in these schools, and they didn't understand. My kids had to really, you know, back up a little and act. They wanted to act like they were also raised in that school. They didn't want to be different. You know, kids don't want to be different. They want to know what their gifts are, where they belong, and how they can make a difference. So that, we found, is everywhere in the world. It's not just in the United States. That everybody, all these kids want to make a difference. But we also found that they're much more resilient and they make friends much more quickly because mm -hmm. they've had to do it so many times that they can basically get off an airplane, land someplace, and figure it out, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's awesome because, yeah, I, I know a couple of friends that have done it and they've always um, – I've only had a few cases where I had friends that they didn't like the experience. Most of them love the experience, right, whether it's with a family or, or by themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but thanks for sharing that. That was awesome. Um, I think with that, we'll kind of jump into the recap. We always kind of do a recap kind of thoughts, and then we'll give you the last word. I think for me, the recap is I'm going to listen back intently to this podcast while I'm at the gym. Uh, thank you. I'm going to share this with my wife and even with my son. Um, I think they should give it a listen. Um, and and uh, I'll be looking further at, at your product um, and, and the different services you offer. And we'll kind of you know talk about those at the end here. But Paul, what was your takeaways for today? Well, I love the whole discovery approach, letting them understand who they are, what their values, and what they're good at. I think that is really sort of grossly overlooked, so I really love that approach. And it's easily tied to financial because, well, if you do the wrong approach, it's going to cost you a lot of money. 
and then you'll be miserable. Very cool. So I, I love that, and I will be making sure that uh, my sister and brother-in-law listen to the episode because they're, I think, a year behind you, Paul, in this journey. Ah, uh, yes, so, that's right. And, I forgot. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, will be, I will be calling them later and making sure they listen and take a look at this too, yeah. uh, this platform as well. Very cool. Very cool. And, and Beth and Greg, thank you very much. Give us, a, you know, if you take it away, please give us your recap and, and any plugs and, and, and your website. We'll post it to our social media channels, but love to just let you guys just talk a little bit further on your on the, on the college plan. And, and then we'll we'll do a final wrap with our uh, with our outro. OK, that's great. Well, uh, you know, it's really been a pleasure to be with you guys. We thank you so much for that. Uh, they can find us at collegeflightplan.com collegeflightplan.com. If you want to write Beth an email directly, it's beth at collegeflightplan.com or greg at collegeflightplan.com. And I just want to leave you with, I'm going to talk about a guide here in a second, but I want to leave your listeners with six high potentials that they can pass on to their sons and daughters. That if every student and every family and every business were to do these six things, which you're going to think are going to be, you know, MIT grad, uh, mumbo jumbo words. It's not. Just listen to what the six things are. Number one is understand what your values are and live by your values. Do what you say you will do. Arrive on time. Finish what you start. Say please, thank you, and you're welcome. And be willing to apologize when you're wrong. Imagine if every student and every family and every department that you work with operated in that fashion, how much better things would be. So um, with that, I'll leave you with the guide that we can get for your audience. They will get a, a document that's the Parent Starter Kit to Teen Self-Discovery. It includes a whole bunch of statistics that uh, I think that parents will find valuable. The top five early actions to lead to college success. Some free assessments that we recommend. Some ACT and SAT prep that, that Paul, you, you utilize. Uh, some resources, and that's great. There might be some here that, uh, that you and your audience can use. There's some scholarship and cost resources that uh, you might find helpful and also how to get in touch with us. And that's at collegeflightplan.com slash guide. Very cool. Very cool. Well, guys, well, Paul, Beth, and Greg, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today. And I'm personally looking forward to our next one. We'd love to have you back on the show. Thank you. We'd love to come. Um, Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com. Or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful. But that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.